Yo, what is up? Yet another episode of Hustlers Rule the World for you. On tonight's episode, we got Mateo Mariasic. Mateo is a brother of my fraternity, a good friend, and quite the hustler himself. He's got a passion for music as a member of Pi Nu Epsilon, a musical honor society, and does his own music production in his free time with his company known as Bad News Entertainment. So, Mateo, tell the audience a little bit more about your musical endeavors. Sure. Uh, so... My passion for music really started uh, at a young age growing up. My mother is a classical pianist. Uh, she went to college at the Manhattan School of Music, which is a really good conservatory. Um, and she would frequently bring her students over. Uh, when I was a little kid, she would take me over to other students' houses, and I'd have to wait there and listen to them play the piano uh, while she was doing her thing, uh, making her money that way. Um, so music was all throughout my life. Uh, and it became a really important part of my identity growing up. So when I was uh, starting to become an adolescent, I started listening to rap music a lot. Um, the story behind that actually is uh, I would go on On Demand, you know, through Comcast. Uh, I would look at some of the music videos. And uh, one of the music videos that stuck out to me was uh, Eminem, Lose Yourself. Um, and I just really loved the song, the video, everything. Uh, so I watched 8 Mile which I feel like a lot of people would say that's a good introductory course to hip-hop culture, uh, just because there's so much information going on in there, especially about Eminem's uh, life uh, before he became famous and stuff like that. Uh, so that's kind of where I started with um, hip-hop music, and um, I've kind of been taking it from there since. Uh, but yeah, music's always been a big part of my life. Okay, yeah, that's awesome. I also was a fan of 8 Mile myself. That was a great movie. What have you been doing with Bad News Entertainment? Yeah, so Bad News Entertainment is um, a label that I started. Uh, well, not really that I started. It, uh, it's kind of, it was kind of uh, its own group uh, made by my friend Tobias Gibbs. Uh, we uh, basically make rap music together. Uh, you know, we, st uh, we met in my sophomore year of high school. Um, we talked about how our mutual love for rap music, uh, and we ended up starting making music together. Um, and I kind of learned how to use, uh, FL studio, which is a digital audio workstation at all, uh, in my own free time. Our first collaboration was actually because of a high school club, uh, called the technology student association or TSA. So I believe it was our, um, third year of high school that we went into the music production uh, kind of like category competition thing uh, for that. And, uh, you know, we were uh, messing around in FL Studio and, you know, I made a pretty simple beat uh, and we ended up getting like some kind of award. I believe it was third place or something of that nature. Uh, so that was kind of like the first track that we did. And then um, he brought in a friend of his who actually knew how to engineer and produce and things like that named Joffy. Uh, we kind of like cooked it up from there and that's kind of how I uh, started working with him Tobias also had a mixtape with uh, two of his cousins um, called Warriors War with two R's uh, standing for We Are Real Rap which I think he released back in like 2013 I think it's still on Datpiff uh, you know if you're interested in listening to that uh, Bad News Entertainment Bad News was actually the name of one of uh, Tobias's cousins who uh, passed away a long time ago <laughs> actually i believe it was like in 2011 so even the name of the label 
uh, kind of has to do with uh, that fa- that familial bond, things of that nature. Uh, so I kind of started uh, working with him again, like 2014, 2015. And I learned how to do basically everything, including shooting music videos, editing music videos, uh, making beats, mixing, recording. Uh, and I'm sure you have more questions for like things like that later down the line but bad news entertainment kind of just tries to do everything involved with the the music process because our uh our vision is you know learn how to do everything uh you know try to keep it in the house as much as possible so that you can have creative control over the the creative product that you're making and then when you start to you know scale things upwards obviously you can't do everything by yourself but uh, at least personally, I think it's important to know how to do certain skills so that when you um, are contracting it out to someone else, or you're working with someone else, that when they give you a product back, you know, A, how they made the product and B, if it's a good product in the first place. Because if you don't really know how to make it, I'm not sure how you can, you know, evaluate it in that critical way, if that makes sense. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. Like when you kind of know you kind of know what to look for in a product. Yeah, exactly. It's really cool though. How often do you get to work on your business? So it's um it's really fluctuated over the years. So you know, in high school and my first two years of college before I uh joined uh Pi New Epsilon and my other student organizations, um I spent a lot of my free time working on music. Um I during uh, my summer, quote unquote, off at Drexel, I, it wasn't really off because I was working a, an internship near New York City and staying with my aunt. But over the weekends, I would make a bus down uh, to Philly uh, and then my mom would drive me over to Jersey. And then, you know, Saturday I would pick up Tobias and we would just uh, record remixes or make beats, work on different projects that he wanted to work on. And, uh, you know, we would just put a lot of time and energy into it um so tobias moved out to los angeles a couple of years back at this point um and so um i'm 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 mostly talking about me and him but there's, there's other people associated with bne as well but uh you know at, uh, when he moved away everyone was kind of in their own separate lane so there's people in new jersey uh there's me here in philly and there's another guy in philly as well uh, and then Tobias is all the way out in LA and he's been making a lot of the connections and stuff um, and meeting kind of the more, you know, people who you have actually heard of who actually do things in the industry and learning how that works. Um, so over the past couple of years, uh, I mean, especially when I'm in classes at Drexel, although I'll be graduating in a few months. So that's exciting. Uh, but when I was in classes in Drexel, uh, that would eat up most of my free time and then the rest of my free time would usually be dedicated to my student organizations when I took a more active role in them. Um, and when I was on co-op, you know, I would spend like a few hours a week trying to work on beats, playing the piano, trying to come up with melodies, uh, things of that nature. Okay. I see. So it's really fluctuated based on a lot. Of yeah, issues. exactly. And so now I'm, um, you know, especially with um, the recent uh, coronavirus outbreak, uh, you know, there's even in really bad situations, there's always positives to look at. And one of the positives I look at is that now I can spend more time 
making music, working on music. Uh, Tobias actually recently sent me uh, several unreleased tracks uh, that he wants to put out as an album later this year. And a few of my beats, uh, some of my older beats actually uh, are on the cut. Um, so I'm going to, you know, work on those, try to make them sound a little more album worthy because they were mostly just like, here's a rough cut. If you like it, I can work on it more. Um, and, you know, now now I basically have the confirmation that, uh, you know, he liked it. So now I'm going to work on it more. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. I kind of I talked about this with my cousin the other night and basically it's like with the the outbreak the virus we have quite a bit of free time to ourselves and like it's a good time to work on side stuff that you don't normally do you know yeah i agree with that 100% and another hard thing with that of course is holding yourself accountable and making sure that you're actually working on the project because um now you don't really have a lot of people and I'll, I'll even say that sometimes I'll do this as well. Like the go-to excuses, like, Oh, I'm busy. I'm tired from all the, you know, the X amount of hours of work that I put in on uh, my main hustle, my main job. Um, you know, in my case, I'll be either being a student at Drexel or working at a co-op. Um, and so it's like, I, I'm not really in the mood to work at this time. Uh, but now um, whenever something like this happens, it gives you a good opportunity to reevaluate and to be like, what do I actually want to do with my time? And uh, more often than not, you know, doing something more productive with your time makes you feel better, makes you feel happier, kind of alleviates depression, which is, uh, you know, something I struggle with and something I also use uh, music to uh, cope with, whether it's listening or making it. Yeah, for sure. Like, no excuses right now so it's just like you gotta be kind of self-disciplined to, to just use this time productive yeah yeah 100 percent. that's the that's the main thing that really anyone can do uh whatever your project is or um hobby is and if you don't have one now's a good time to research a new one uh obviously it might be hard to get um supplies or materials depending on what kind of hobby it is um but, you know, do as much as you can, learn as much as you can, uh, never stop learning. That's one of, that's another one of my uh, outlooks on life, too, is to never stop learning because there's just so much to learn uh, in life. And there isn't really a stopping point to it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's just you, you never will learn everything there is to learn. Um, so pick a few things that you're interested in and learn as much as you can about that. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Another question I had for you is, you said you did a lot of stuff such as with FL Studio and going out and filming, filming music videos. I can imagine a lot of those skills took some time to learn or was it kind of a do and then reevaluate and like learn with practice? type of thing yeah um so it definitely was a lot of um you could say on the job training um so the my first uh i'll use like video projects as an example but my first video project was um there was this guy carlito um who had filmed uh tobias and another one of our mutual friends leo 
um, in Atlantic City, uh, did a bunch of scenes for them. Um, and Tobias basically asked me, can you chop this up? Can you edit this, make a video out of it? Uh, because uh, another thing that we did in high school, uh, we uh, took a class called um, media media production or something of that nature but you had a camcorder and you learned how to edit an iMovie and things like that uh so you know I, I had a copy of sony vegas which is um the typical just learning how to use uh video editing software um and i spent hours an hour i mean like i feel like i spent like probably like 40 hours um on this like four minute video just trying to figure out how everything works how um you know how a timeline works how you chop up uh, clips how you um how much time you should stay on one clip before you're kind of losing um the viewer's interest and then move on to the next clip and so the perspective that i obviously brought to editing this video was that uh i'm uh, making a music video uh, i want a lot of like sh short um snappy clips that catch people's attention and maybe like do some zoom ins or change colors depending on so one of my go-tos would be like if someone mentioned uh, like the color red, for instance, and I would make the the whole clip red, like using color correction. It'd be like, see, now there's that association between uh, the lyrics and the video. Um, so that was my first thing. And then editing is it's is a completely different thing from, you know, shooting. Um, so, you know, I, I got really interested in music videos from doing that edit. Uh, I decided, hey, I want to do my own uh, with um, some other people from B&E. So um, I took uh, my work-study money uh, that I was getting from my first uh, work-study job uh, at Drexel. And I invested in getting camera equipment, uh, getting uh, studio equipment as well. But, you know, I got a Canon DSLR. And, and uh, again, I would um, go back to Jersey um basically like kind of like direct the thing i got an led light as well so i would you know change the lighting depending on if it was nighttime or not i would uh you know go to live performances and shoot live performances and later put it in the music video uh, and i would like direct certain scenes and have people doing x y and z thing and this is all um you know, all of that was very, like, off the cuff. It's not like I did any storyboarding or any official type of thing. It was mostly, like, I would talk to the uh, other artists at B&E and be like, hey, does it sound cool or whatever? Do we want to do this? And, you know, kind of through the act of producing this uh, music video, um, you kind of just learn what to do, what looks right. And um, there, there is, like, obviously a difference where, like, you can tell something's amateurish and there's no, like, thought of theory at all versus, um, you know, if someone kind of knows what they're doing versus something that's really professionally well done. Uh, but chances are if you, like, kind of know what you're doing and you're not, like, doing all the theoretical stuff right, but you kind of have, like, that eye for what you want to get and you know what you want to get, then it's probably going to turn out good. Um, so I would also like advise people if there's something that you really want to do, don't worry about being an expert at it. Don't worry if it's not going to sound good or look good, just do it and see how it looks like after you're done. If there's something that you're unhappy with, uh, then focus on that specific thing and work on it from there. So like if there's a specific edit that you think looks choppy or, oh, I didn't like how I faded into this clip from this other clip. 
then you can go back into your editing software and change that clip around. Um, so I, I know we also asked about um, FL Studio. So I'll go to that as well. So FL Studio is um, back when I was doing that uh, track for the Technology Student Association. Uh, that was the DAW that I got. I still use it to this day. Um, and it's also a very common DAW that's used in hip hop production, uh, primarily in hip hop production, if you go back to the aughts. Um, but FL Studio has kind of permeated the collective musical consciousness, and you'll find people from all different genres using it now. Um, and the digital audio workstation, a DAW, is just um, a computer program that uh, you can, that basically doubles as a sampler and a drum machine. Uh, so back in the 80s and 90s, people would um, sample different tracks um, and they would use drum machines to, you know, have these very like kind of computerized one, two, three, four. So instead of having live drums, you have these drums that are always going to hit on the second beat, uh, always going to hit on the third beat, you know, out of the four beats uh, and stuff like that. Uh, so uh, a dog kind of combines the principles of these two things, you know, the drum machine and the sampler because, and the synthesizer too, you know, you can um, divide it up into several different components, but a DAW basically just combines all the analog components uh, that people would use to make tracks uh, into a digital format. And so instead of having a bunch of bulky equipment, instead of having like uh, an analog synthesizer and a sampling machine and a, a drum machine and you're putting it all together into an analog eight-track mixer or something like that. You just have it in one uh, digital audio workstation, which is why it's called that, and that's a DAW. Um, and kind of the same thing with FL Studio. Um, so I, this is something I would do as well uh, with uh, the music videos, but you know, I would just go on YouTube, and I'd be like, how do you do this? And then you'll find that there's um, a few YouTubers who explain the concepts in a way uh, that you understand and then you just kind of listen to them and then you go from there. Uh, so someone who I used to listen to a lot uh, when I was starting out and making beats was a uh, busy works beats. Um, Cause I felt like he just explained things very well. Um, and he explained like musicality and how you want to align your drum patterns and things of that nature in a way that I, I could understand. Um, and so for the basics, um, there's like these foundational videos that you can find or, um, you know, you can go old school, uh, you know, like foundational books. Uh, I even took a music theory class while I was at Drexel um, just to understand, uh, you know, melody structure and harmonies better so that I could apply it to my beats. And I can say like after learning music theory, um, it really improved uh, my ability to make beats a lot more because now I had a little bit of theoretical knowledge and I wasn't just, you know, um, randomly arranging keys in FL studio. Although, um, everyone kind of has, you know, um, some sense of tonality, some sense of melody, you know, in their brain, you know, naturally. So if you play like two keys that are right next to each other that aren't usually on the same scale. So, um, I don't know, like, let's say like a sharp and B, something like that. Uh, I can't think of too many cases where they're in the same scale. Uh, so you play like those two keys together and you'll, you'll find that they're very discordant 
Whereas, like, you know, if you play something like B and F, then you, you can hear that, you know, it's um, or B and G is probably a better, like a third, uh, a third chord, G and B. You can find that that's pretty harmonious and that's the type of thing that you want to replicate. Um, but yeah, that's um, that's kind of the story with FL Studio. Now I kind of like I just like look for specific things. So I would be like, how do I mix my bass, uh, you know, better or something like that? And I'll put that in Google or I'll put that in YouTube. And then uh, or I'll be like or someone will tell me something like, um, oh, you should uh, sidechain compress uh, your kick and your bass, which basically makes it so that uh, it separates the kick sound uh, from the, the bass sound. Uh, and so it's like, okay, how do I sidechain compress uh, you know, my uh, bass in my beat. And uh, then I look that up and then I see how people do it. I'm like, okay. And then you go from there. That's really fascinating. I think it's really cool that with a lot of today's musical technology and software, it kind of removes the need for professional equipment when you're kind of at an entry level or like a hobbyist, you know? Yeah. So like, um, if you look at different artists kind of uh, paths to um, success, so you look at people like Dr. Dre, he's a really good example. Um, and you can see like a big struggle that they had. It was like, you know, getting studio time because, you know, in the pre-DAW, pre-internet, pre-digital age, you needed to have studio space for analog equipment. Uh, and, you know, you need to secure that and you needed an know how to you know record on analog tape and if you screwed up the analog tape you got to do it all over again you need to get more material um you know there was this um physicality to it and that was a you know that that made it really easy for the music industry to gatekeep certain things uh now granted if you know if you just had a lot of money lying around and you can make your own studio you can still do what you want but um you know, those cases are very few and far between in the pre-digital age just because of how much money you would need to invest um, in certain things to get them to work, um, at least on a commercial scale. You know, um, like the birth of hip hop music came from sampling and turntables pretty much, um, which, you know, compared to a studio was like a lot less expensive. And then people would just, you know, rap like right there while a DJ was kind of uh making a beat you know on their turntable and uh you know sampling from different records which is why sampling is so prevalent you know music from the 80s and 90s and even in you know tracks of today like even if you listen to a kanye west track and you hear how many times he samples that that's because it all goes back to that age where uh you know um djs had their turntables and uh they were making melodies from that um yeah yeah, it really is amazing how far we've come. Like today, you can make a song on an iPhone and get famous on SoundCloud the next day. Like I was watching an interview with the, the baby, and he said he made a couple of his songs on like one of his more recent albums on his phone. Yeah, you know, and um, even if you like listen to people great. who are from that analog era, so like um, Timbaland has um this uh, master class thing, and this ad just keeps popping up on my Instagram and my YouTube because. Uh, you know, big data knows that, I, you know, I like music production and all that. Uh, but, you know, even he um, in the trailer, he goes like, you know, you can do this in your bedroom or whatever. You don't need a studio to make uh, music anymore. 
so even people who are from that era like recognize how much of a game changer the digital age is and instead of like trying to fight against it they just adapted with it and the people who didn't adapt with it you don't really hear from them anymore <laughs> yeah that's true what is kind of your yeah long-term so goals for BS? it's changed over the over the years so you know before i went to college kind of like in that uh vacation between senior year of high school and first year of college i was like oh man it'd be great like if i became like a famous rapper or something like that uh but now kind of like me and um tobias's main goals for bne is to more like make it a, a thing where we find kind of different artists and uh you know, help support them. You know, uh, I talked to Tobias about the album. He's like, you know, this is, I'm planning on this being my only album. And like, if it makes it, then it makes it and I'll reconsider. But I'm just, I'm not too worried about, you know, getting fame from it at this point. It's just like, I want to make it because I like making music and, and I feel the same way. Uh, but I think we kind of want to make BNE something like, um, so you might know, um, you, you probably know quality control music, you know, how, um, like they have the Migo sign and stuff like that. But um, the dude who, um, you know, made quality control music, Coach K, uh, you know, he back in the day, he tried to, you know, be a famous rapper and it didn't really work out for him, uh, you know, that much. Uh, but he learned along the way, you know, how the music industry works and what it takes to, to make famous rappers. And you can end up, you know, because you're their manager, because you sign them, you make uh, money based off of them. Um, so, you know, I've learned a lot from the whole, um, project management side of making music, um, you know, because I, I even made my own mixtape a long time ago and I, you know, done some like really rough stuff. Uh, so, um, I kind of like, no, like, like if someone came up to me and was like, how do I start, uh, making music or, uh, being a rapper or something of that nature? Um, then I could be like, you know, you'd start off doing this and then you do this and you do that. So like, like I said, I spent like 40 hours trying to learn uh, my first edit. Um, and now like I recently made like a, a quick like wrestling trailer for one of the people who's like in the B and E spear. And that took me like three to four hours to do, um, you know, in a couple of nights, uh, because now I know what I'm looking for. Now I know what to do and now I can guide someone better. Um, and so, like, you know, like, if I were to, like, produce for a, a rapper and, like, record for them and, like, we sign them to B&E and then obviously you make your cut because you're supporting them and you're helping them out in that way. Um, but I, I'm not really trying to be, like, the face of it anymore. I mean, obviously, I'm still going to make my own projects and stuff like that. But it's not a, in terms of, like, you know, b and I'm not, like, trying to be, like, the like the front face of it i'm trying to more be in the background and make my own things but also you know um find good talent and help uh nurture that talent and nurture their potential and make them the best they can be and then they can be the face and then uh we can still be doing our own thing now kind of wondering have you guys thought about the different ways you could use social media to kind of help promote such as yeah so um today like instagram you know um tobias kind of has had like a a bne instagram uh way back in the day i kind of ran a facebook um so we experimented with social media from the beginning 
uh, we experimented with doing ads and things like that. And, you know, you, you have a whole analytics dashboard from these social media companies. Um, and, you know, obviously we got a lot more engagement um, from uh, when we uh, put in like a few dollars worth to uh, market and put out ads um, than not. But, but, you know, all movements have to start somewhere. And so um, for b and it, it started from, you know, our high school classmates and people around in uh, the local South Jersey area um, because um, they knew what we were doing um, and they were really excited to see, like, the different type of work that we did. Um, and so it kind of started from there. Um, then Tobias, um, you know, uh, me and him tried to get into uh, Team Backpack, which is a really uh, – famous uh underground rapping uh this it's almost like competition like there's cyphers and stuff like that uh, and a bunch of rappers kind of go to it to uh to rap and see who the who the best guy is um but so anyway Sabai's won a team backpack um i didn't make the cut uh but his uh kind of like entry uh video it's kind of like an audition video where there's a bunch of different beats and you spit 16 bars over it and then uh whoever they like the best, uh, you know, gets like a ticket to go or whatever. Um, so, you know, Tobias got in and then he made a bunch of connections that way. And, you know, the first time he went to LA was through a uh, team backpack and that's why he's there right now. Um, but he went over there, you know, to kind of do his thing. And um, while you're there making these physical connections, then of course you also make these social media connections. So, you know, you friend them on Facebook or you start following each other on Insta and all of a sudden you have a bunch of new opportunities at your door. Um, so, you know, um, especially with TikTok, um, you know, um, I'm sure labels are probably already doing this, but a really um, kind of ingenious way to market uh, a track or an album would be to start a TikTok trend based on that song. So a lot of TikTok and, you know, people might call that like an industry plant thing or whatever, but especially if you're on the come up, it's, it's really intelligent to use social media in your favor and to try to um, replicate um, the, uh, the ad buying thing, but doing it for free because, you know, um, so Old Town Road, for instance, Old Town Road got really big on TikTok um, and um, TikTok was kind of like the springboard for its success. Um, and so like obviously when it hit number one for like however many weeks in a row, you know, I, I forget what it was off the top of my head. I think it's like 19 or 20. It's like the most weeks in a row a, num a number one track has ever been. Um, but um you know, it, it didn't just uh, do that overnight. It started with the TikTok trends. And it's and Lil Nas X obviously did not uh, start the Old Town Road TikTok trend by himself. But, you know, that would be um, that'd be really easy for someone to just, you know, call one of their friends and be like, hey, um, I have this idea for a TikTok trend. You want to help me out with this? And then you kind of have like a natural marketing budget or I'm sorry, you, you kind of have like this natural organic marketing that has a budget of $0 because people are just spreading it for you. Uh, and that's kind of like analogous to, you know, um, the different presidential elections. So a big reason why like Trump won the 2016 election, for example, is because the news media was giving him, I think it, I read something that said they were giving him like billions of dollars of free press. So he didn't have to pay for any of that marketing for his campaign. Um, the media was just doing it for him and getting his name out there. And, you know, it's if you kind of think of like marketing your 
record or doing promotion for whatever your project is um in that perspective like kind of like a campaign trying to get your name out there trying to get as many people as possible to listen to your track trying to get as many hits as possible as many i like to frame it as opportunities as possible uh you know then you're going to be pretty successful and social media is a really good vehicle for that especially with coronavirus um now people um you know don't really have much better to do than to be on their phones than to be on social media um so a lot of people right now, you know, are trying to take advantage of that. Um, you know, you have people who are trying to create content. And these aren't necessarily mutually exclusive, like con- uh, creating and consuming content. But you're going to have people who are, you know, um, spending more of this free time to create content. And then you're going to have a, a, a massive uptick in uh, consumption of content. Yeah, absolutely. One thing I was kind of wondering is with... A lot of the music videos and like music you guys put out at BNE, have you tried like sending that stuff to like well known people or like just reaching out to yeah, people so in DMs I, and saying, hey, I'm sure everyone has seen like um, the people who are on like YouTube comments or Insta comments who'd be like, I'm only 15, check out this track or what. And, and everyone's always clowning them because that's a that's not really a good way to promote yourself because it, it makes you seem desperate or whatever. And kind of just like um, cold calling people's DMs uh, is also like kind of like, hey, it's like a big desperate marker on your face. Um, you know, if you want to like kind of cold call someone, what you should do is like email their management and, you know, uh, ask for um you know, hey, how would I get a beat to this artist? How would I do X, Y, or Z? You know, you shouldn't DM the artist. Like, some artists would probably be cool with it. Like, I feel like Lil Uzi, for example, really wouldn't care. He'd probably like that. Um, But the more professional way to do it is to go through their management and to, uh, you know, to be like, how do I um, get this artist to notice me, essentially? Like, how do I get this artist to check out my beat or uh, check out my music video uh, services? Um, and then you kind of distribute it that way uh, if you want to like cold call it. Um, but in, um, I, sorry, can you like repeat the question again? It was like, uh, have we tried like, uh, like commenting on people's things and stuff like that, right? Right, right. Yeah, so it was more about like, I brought have you tried know, like, like DMing and stuff like that. But um, again, the best way to like kind of, get people to notice you is to be noticed which kind of sounds like a paradox or an oxymoron or whatever it's like oh i want people to notice me how will i get them to notice me and it's kind of like with a lot of other things you kind of just like can't seem too desperate about it like i said like you can't like you can't like cold call people in their dms but you can email their management and ask um hey um how do i do x y or z with this artist um yeah if that makes sense um so um in terms of like what uh b and e has done uh that's mostly been uh tobias um but he's met a lot of people in l a he has a lot of connections out there um and um it's really about again like kind of using those opportunities and leveraging them and uh getting yourself at the right place at the right time you know there's this age-old saying that it's it's not what you know but who you know so um 
there's people who spend decades and decades on their craft and could be like the best at it ever. But then if they just upload it to SoundCloud, um, it's a bit, there's a very, very small chance that it's going to blow up um, just from, you know, just randomly uploading it on SoundCloud. The most likely thing is like, they're going to get like 20 hits or something like that. So if you want to, um, you know, kind of, elevate yourself uh, again besides like um you know putting the the feed and people's uh, or so putting the track in people's feeds and youtube ads and stuff like that you have to make these connections with people who can kind of put it on their social media or blast it out that way and now um all of a sudden it seems a lot more organic and people love to see the the organic come up uh especially because now it is um uh, a lot bigger of a possibility to just do it all by yourself and of course there's a lot of people who do do it by themselves but then there is like that fraction of people who people refer to as the industry plants who are the type of people who like let's say would make a tiktok trend for their own song um you know with a record label helping them out and stuff like that but um you know before like this digital age you could classify a lot of artists as industry plants because the only way to uh, come up was to kind of go through the industry um, you know at a certain point you know if you wanted to blow up past like your local area um, because of like physical distribution limitations you know you can't really like press um, hundreds of thousands of physical albums and ship them all across the nation by yourself through an independent label so eventually you do have to go to a bigger label um, but now again, like that, all that kind of like gatekeeping stuff and all that, um, you know, uh, record labels required for you to promote your tracks is kind of out the window, uh, with the digital age because all it takes now is upload.mp3 to SoundCloud or uh, DistroKid, which will put it on Spotify and YouTube and every streaming service, and then you're done, and that is your distribution. Yeah, that's true. And one point I kind of want to make is like, I feel like that's kind of where the DMs come in. And I don't know this for sure, but what I've heard, what I've kind of heard and what I can kind of tell with this, like, what I see myself is like, when someone comments and says like, oh, you should check out my music. It's like easy to look over that because they're not, they're not really offering anything to you. Like I've heard like people like it a lot better when send them the right message that tries to provide them as much as they can get to offer i don't know that for sure that's just like what i've heard yeah um i mean so again it also depends uh where you and the other person are kind of at um so if you're just commenting on some famous uh you know artists instagram and kind of doing the whole like oh, I'm a 15-year-old rapper, check me out, bro, uh, type of thing. A lot of people are going to look it over because it's not, that's not really the correct atmosphere for that. Uh, because people are there to see that artist. They're not there to see uh, your comment about yourself. Uh, like they do see comments and they want to see comments about the artist. So if there's you, um, so there's a lot of like local rappers from uh, South Jersey, the South Jersey area that I'm from. Uh, and obviously they would all like DM each other and be like, do you want to collaborate and kind of like try to come up together since we're all from the same area. And so like in that um, scenario, for example, then it's totally fine for you to DM each other. Um, 
from like the previous question I was taking it more as like a you know like how do you want to get in touch with a big artist and you know again unless like um, the artist is kind of like down to earth like I like to use a little Uzi because he's a really down to earth kind of dude um, but unless like the artist is like really down to earth and like they they would actually like look at their DMs and be like yeah I'm cool with this uh, then you kind of have to step it up like do the more professional route and start emailing people and being like um what are your rates uh how do i what's the proper procedure uh to get this beat to this artist and again a lot of other times you know the managers are going to be cool as well but it's all like this um convention you know from um the music industry which is oh you got to email do this this and this this is the right way to do a connection this isn't a wrong way to do a connection but you know as artists kind of take creative control and uh be more independent then uh the whole um dynamic starts shifting and so like i said there are artists you could probably like and famous artists too who you could probably just hit up in the dms and be like hey i want to collab and they'd probably be like cool you know um Venmo me 10k or whatever (laughs) you know something like that um and then there's other artists uh, especially like people who like like Dr. Dre like Dr. Dre probably isn't going to respond to your DM you know what I mean like he's probably going to want to see an email or get a phone call uh, or something like that yeah 100% I did think about that aspect is like kind of depends on who the person is what their whole dynamic is yeah everything is about relationships even um there's um there's a term in psychology for um a relationship you have with an entertainer who um you don't necessarily know but you feel like you have a relationship with them and it's called a parasocial relationship so every kind of um creative thing that uh seeks to interact with people so like music or movies or things like that you're kind of like setting up this if you think about it from the perspective of like this uh parasocial relationship where like you're trying to talk to someone else and you're trying to see like what is um this type of audience member going to look at then you kind of alter your craft based on that and it's the same thing with collaborating with different people it's like uh what is this person like how can i get them to um how do i stand out uh, amongst the rest of the crowd who how do i get them to look at my stuff versus someone else you know stuff like that yeah one last thing i want to ask on this topic is if it were a perfect world and you could do anything you wanted to involving bna what would you do yeah i would totally be uh you know making beats um working on my own projects you know and you know trying to develop other talent too um i'd probably like put more of a primary primary focus on my own stuff you know if i could just like if it was like a world where like money's not a thing like uh you know i'm getting like a universal basic income or whatever so i can support myself and then i would just be working on art um probably most of the time um but i also do like to uh, see other people's potential and help those people succeed and put them in higher positions so i probably wouldn't like step off from that aspect the whole way um i see um everything that really isn't like the artist themselves so like production for example making beats is kind of like supporting the artist um because you're trying to make the artist sound good uh with the beat uh and with the engineering with the mixing with the mastering stuff like that um 
but yeah, like if it was like, um, you know, this ideal utopia world where you can do whatever you want, then yeah, I would probably uh, spend a majority of my time, you know, my own projects. Uh, but, you know, from a more like realistic perspective, and especially the fact that I'm going to be, you know, having my mechanical engineering degree uh, in a few months, and I'm going to have, you know, a, an office job, uh, things of that nature, you know, you kind of have to be more realistic with your expectations for it. And then, you know, I kind of shifted to the the more um, support role, which again, I get fulfillment from that as well. Yeah, very cool. Now, uh, I'm really interested in hearing more about Pine. Tell me about what Pine is doing on campus and what role you play in that. Yeah, sure. So Pine Epsilon is um, the honorary performing arts fraternity at Drexel. I'm currently the president. Um, before I was the president, uh, last year I was the secretary. And for uh, a year and a half, I was also the national vice president. Uh, which sounds like a, a big deal, um, but the the fraternity right now consists of two chapters, um, you know, one here at Drexel and then one at Teal College, uh, which is uh, like uh, a, a little bit uh, like a, an hour west of Pittsburgh, you know, so in that area. Um, so we can get more into like the the history of uh, Pine is actually really fascinating, um, but um before we uh, get into that, um, kind of what we do on campus is, um, well, for a long time, and uh, Pine News' original purpose was to um, kind of look at all the people who were doing uh, the different band, so like uh, the different ensembles, uh, so like concert band, a pep band, a Mediterranean ensemble, and things like that, and kind of like honor them, give them recognition. Um, for the work that they are uh, dedicating outside of their regular studies. Uh, Pi Nu Epsilon was kind of founded um, not specifically as a performing arts fraternity, but as a performing arts fraternity that recognized people who weren't mainly in the performing arts. Uh, so that's kind of why I came to Drexel. Um, Pi Nu at Drexel has been around since... 1947 or something like that uh so it's been a really long time um and uh it came when drexel was known as drexel institute of technology um so um there was obviously there wasn't a big performing arts or music uh department at that point in time i'm sure they had like the different ensembles and stuff like that but i don't think the i would assume like the major wasn't um very robust and there, there's no way like the music industry program that Drexel has now was around in 1947. <laughs> um, but um, so that was its original purpose was to be an, like strictly an honorary thing, like a lot of these honorary fraternities you see. Um, but uh, in recent years, and especially under my guidance, I've been trying to make it more of a, a community for uh, people who engage in the performing arts, um, regardless of if they're um, doing an ensemble or not. So I am not um, Pi Nu Epsilon's traditional uh, member, uh, not by a long shot, because um, my involvement in music isn't really through ensembles or being a band kid or anything like that. It's through uh, kind of my own um, hustle and entrepreneurship and making my own music. Um, and so I, I kind of brought that mentality to Pi Nu when I was inducted um, I feel like these are all different questions. I'm answering all, all of them at once. Uh, but um, 
uh, essentially like what Pi Nu Epsilon seeks to do on Drexel is to look at different um, is to look at everyone who is um, engaging in their performing arts, uh, however they do it, whether they're you know singing in their church choir or they're making beats uh, or they're you know a multi instrument multi instrumentalist. Sorry about that, um, or they're um, in dance or they're you know um, uh, you know doing like um, improv or you know a slam poetry, anything that's a performing art. Uh, because uh, almost all performing arts have some degree of like musicality or rhythm or beat to it. Um, so like it, they all end up getting wrapped in that same vein. Uh, but it's, it's all about uh, making a community for people like that. Um, and we try to do like jam sessions uh, and, and, turn, and like, um, you know, we do like game nights and things like that to kind of keep that sense of community up. Uh, and then of course we have, like any other fraternity, we have our association ritual. Uh, we have our initiation ritual. Um, I can't go into detail about uh, what those are because they are secrets of the fraternity. Um, but we have like the, all the different, you know, fraternal uh, ornaments and things of that nature. So it's it's a community for performing arts people that uh, has like um, Greek uh, figments in it pretty much. So you're basically taking the organization and kind of changing its tradition. Yeah, that that's basically exactly what I did. Um, so we kind of um, went. To, so I was um, inducted in a Pinu um, in the spring quarter 2017 at Drexel. So like late May, early June. Um, and um, you know, it was definitely uh, more of a how I said like uh, this um, honorary thing for uh, uh, band kids. Um, although there were people who like um, were from the Drexel football team, which is the improv pe- person and um, sorry, the, the improv club. And um, the reason why I got into it is because my freshman year at Drexel, um, one of my uh, friends, Allison, um, kind of helped start this club called the Drexel Lyrics, uh, like Songwriter Society, something like that. Uh, you know, it was four years ago and the club didn't really like pop off. So um, it's not around anymore. So I don't remember the uh, the exact name of it. Uh, but I was in that. that um, I went to different meetings because I would make my own rap song. So my, my involvement with BNE directly tied into uh, me joining this um, club. Um, so a year later, I'm at the spring involvement fair in 2017 and uh, Allison sees me and, uh, you know, she brings me over and she's like, hey, I know the, you know, the songwriters uh, society didn't really work out, but here's Pi New Epsilon. Do you want to, you know, do you want to join? I'm like, yeah, sure. And so it was even like a, a t- because um, even like uh, so Allison's like a, a screenwriting major or she's graduated now, um, but she was a screenwriting major. Um and so, like, she necessarily wasn't, like, in an ensemble or whatever, but they made an exception because she is in the performing arts. Um, and for me as well, the executive board at the time made an exception for me because uh, I'm not in the traditional sphere, but I still do performing arts. I still make music. I still make beats. Um, so I am someone who, you know, despite um, doing all of this um stuff at Drexel that isn't music related I'm still dedicating a large amount of my time to music outside of it you know as my main side hustle 
And so, therefore, let's just, you know, uh, therefore they decided to let me in. Um, and like I said, I've been very active in the uh, fraternity, uh, in large part because of how, like, um, fluid and self-defining, uh, you know, um, m- you know, producing music yourself is. So, you know, if you're at a band ensemble or whatever, you have to, there's a, um, X amount of time that, you know, you, you have to be at practice, that you have to be a rehearsal. Well, uh, you know, when you're making your own music or you're making your own beats, um, you can do it anytime you want. Um, so I was, uh, a lot of times people weren't able to put Pinu, you know, um, as a main priority because they had to worry about everything else, uh, because everything else had these fixed time limits and then Pinu didn't. Uh, so Pinu went to the back burner, but because like, I didn't have as many fixed time limits uh, with the way I do my performing arts. Um, you know, I kind of made Pinu more, uh, more of a priority in my life. Um, and so that kind of showed with me taking on all these different leadership positions. And over the years, uh, I kind of like changed uh, the culture of it from, um, you know, what it was when I first went into um, this more, um, like a liberal, like, uh, we're just going to let you in if you do performing arts. And, you know, it's not like really like the board really has to have a discussion about it. It's just like, if you do it, that's good. Um, because we want, we just want to foster a community here. I was going to say, so you've kind of taken it and made it this more of like a community for people just who just have interest in performing arts. And I guess, like you said, a lot of people don't really have the time for it because they're in more strict yeah forms of performing arts but i get with the way with with what you've done i guess you've kind of opened the door for more people to join that can like make it a higher priority like yourself yeah exactly so um you know obviously like uh a lot of the uh people who have joined pine are now like uh post mateo you know um like like they all know like oh mateo is like a really big part of you know, Pine especially because again, it is such a small thing. Um, there, so like when I was like national vice president, I was, I was in charge of like two chapters essentially. Um, and you know, again, like at that point in time, it was just, um, the national board had like very few people who were willing to like take on leadership roles. And I was like, sure, I'll help out, you know, cause I feel like I should. Um, so I learned a lot about the organization. I learned a lot about its history through that. Um, you know, I'm, I don't want to like um, blow uh, like my knowledge about it out of proportion or anything, but you know, in, in comparison, to a lot of people, I probably know the most about the organization just because I had to go through all the um, different documents uh, regarding it. Um, but so like now there's kind of like this post, uh, we let Mateo in and he's the president and he was the secretary and he's done all these, uh, different cultural changes, uh, kind of like era. And so that does like kind of open it up more because they say, oh, look, um, so Mateo, who isn't the traditional, um, member of this fraternity, you know, went on to be the president and to do all these great things, um, with the organization. So now like the the bar for entry is like uh that much lower for people who um uh treat performing arts in a similar manner to me um and at the end of the day um you know um 
Pi Nu Epsilon was founded in the 1920s. And the point I like to bring up to people always is, you know, music was completely different in the 1920s. You know, people used, um, uh, what's it called, like phonographs or phonograms or whatever they are, uh, and vinyl records. And radio was just starting to become a big thing. And recorded music uh, wasn't um, people's uh, main uh, means of consuming music. You know, it'd be going out to like the vaudeville shows or live shows. Uh, and things of that nature and it's just like the people who founded it like were just would just be unable to understand how music and how performing arts has changed over the century like if you went back in time in 1926 1927 um, and you talk to these people and you said like this is how uh, music is consumed in 2020 like where do you even begin for you like you have to talk about the internet and again, to them, they don't know what that is. And there's not really anything similar to um, liken it to back then. So, you know, um, again, the digital age in general has kind of transformed how we consume music, how um, we view performing arts. And, you know, me is kind of like um, coming from that division of the performing arts. You know, I kind of was like, let's apply this to Pine and I also have, you know, the perspective of, you know, like the analog era, you know, for my mom who, you know, uh, practices for hours and hours a day, uh, you know, being a pianist is her trade. And, uh, you know, I, I see the beauty in both things. Um, and there, you know, there's people on, on both sides, um, you know, who like, there's like people who like produce beats who like kind of will like see the opera uh, or like these big um, ensembles and bands as a waste of time uh, that they don't make enough money or things like that. And then there's people who, um, you know, spend hours and hours and hours practicing like a couple instruments or a few instruments. And then they just say, oh, these people who are making beats, you know, are just pushing buttons. You know, it's not real music, things like that. Um, and, uh, you know, I kind of see it from both ways. And I'm like, you know, every every like way of creative expression is valid and people should be, you know, honored and recognized and have a community to join regardless of how they choose to express um, um, their, uh, their involvement in the performing arts. Right. Like you've allowed the organization to kind of become more inclusive of the, uh, the modern, some of the modern forms of, yeah, that that that's all I would say I really did is just um modernize the organization, you know, adapt it to um the 21st century. Um because again like it's because it it's main you know the main members were people from you know um the ensembles and stuff like that they thought from that perspective. Um and you know that's totally understandable and it makes a lot of sense. Um but um you know and my main thing is like if you want something to survive, you have to adapt with the times. And I will look back at it. Some, you know, the, the aims of the organization and the aims of the organization are just to um, recognize people who are unselfishly devoting their time to music. And, um, you know, the, um, the classic trope of the starving artist kind of comes to mind when you look at people like us, like, yeah, um, obviously people who are, you know, kind of self-producing their own music and are making more commercial forms of music stand to 
gain money off of it. Um, but I've spent like thousands of dollars, put hundreds and hundreds of hours, uh, pour like every fiber of my being into uh, doing music. And, you know, it's not clear if I'm ever going to get a, a financial return on that investment. You know what I mean? Uh, at, th- at this point in time. And so like, and the reason why, like, I feel like a lot of people are like this, um, you know, who make music kind of like in their spare time. The reason why isn't necessarily because we can monetize it, although that would be nice if we could. Uh, but the main reason is that we find fulfillment out of it and we enjoy it. Um, and that's just what we want to do with our lives. Um, and of course, making money, you know, if you want to do it with your life and you need to make money off of it, you need to monetize it in some form. Um, and so I don't really see a contradiction, um, with the original aim of, you know, um, recognizing people who unselfishly devote their time to music, such as performing arts and then uh, integrating, um, people who, um, view it in a similar way to me into the organization and also people who aren't necessarily doing um bands and ensembles like i said like people who are in dance people who are in improv people who do slam poetry uh, all of those are performing arts and all of those are are equally as valid and deserve to be recognized 100 percent. one uh one last question i have for you is uh I know it's probably tough to say, especially with what's going on, the circumstances that we're under, but kind of before you graduate, maybe even a little after you graduate, is there uh, is there any goals or anything you'd like to see happen within Pi New? Yeah. Um, I, uh, <laughs> I mean, so if there was a spring quarter going on, I would have had concrete goals uh i kind of um so instead i'll kind of say um what i feel like my legacy is for pine and uh what i hope um that the next uh executive boards to come will do um i mean one of my main achievements uh besides like kind of stabilizing the chapter um was to have the biggest association class since uh in like uh like two and a half years uh i was in the i was the secretary at the time but i basically um took charge of the russian association process for that class uh which ended up being six and uh before then we were getting classes of like three or four um so that was a, a big deal uh and you know in pioneer history and it kind of really revitalized the organization. Uh, this quarter, we kind of dip back, or this year, we kind of dip back into our lows. Um, and we um, traditionally don't have uh, rushes during the winter quarter, but we did this term. Um, and so we got um, a few more people um, in this year. Um, and um, I think it's true when they say that um you know, quality is better than quantity. And um, the four people that we got to join are all very quality individuals who I'm sure are going to make their mark, you know, on Pineu in the future. Um, So uh, kind of what I see my legacy as is like showing people, um, you know, how good um, or how important, well, like a um, recruiting is and bringing people who are, um, 
in this performing arts community together and providing them like the structure uh, where they can hang out and chill uh, things like that is, uh, you know, the people's well-being and things like that, um, that it can be a big thing and that it should be a big thing. Um, and that, um, you know, um, an important thing is to always look to the future and to kind of keep raising that foundation. So, uh, you know, my, my foundation is kind of like, the culture used to be um, the the more like traditional interpretation of what this organization was. Uh, now it's not anymore, you know, now it's like uh, irrevocably changed. And like, even if someone like 10 years from now wants to bring it back to the original, they can always be out, oh, but look at, um, you know, this dude Mateo or whatever uh, he did, uh, you know, X, Y, and Z. So it can never like really go back to like the 1920s uh, vision for it. Um, but, uh, so that's what I see my legacy as, and I'm hoping, you know, I, I know, um, most of the people on the next executive board, um, and all of them pretty much like kind of share my goals and vision for the fraternity. You know, a lot of them have, um, or like some of them have like, you know, only been around while I was in the leadership of the fraternity, which again, is like a, a big, uh, difference from like. 2017 and now um but they're gonna keep on going in the same vein um you know maybe even have uh, a summer quarter uh rush which again is very um unconventional for pine we usually only do the fall uh and spring and and now we, you know we might have fall winter and summer and no spring <laughs> uh this year due to the crisis um but I'm hoping that they just keep in that same vein that they, um, you know, seek to recruit more members to uh, keep it in, to keep the fraternity uh, as inclusive as possible of all of those who um, dedicate their time to the performing arts um, and to just make it a, a living organization. You know, um, I guess if I wanted to like put it in, in my, in like one sentence, it was like, uh, when I joined, um, the organization was like on a downward spiral, you know, it was kind of like facing extinction because it was kind of, you know, stuck in this, um, paradigm and I kind of brought the paradigm shift to it. And that's always going to be, uh, always going to cause fluctuations. It's always going to have ups and downs, um, but eventually, um, after, you know, the growing pains, uh, subside, um, then it's going to be something big and something beautiful, um, and it's going to succeed. Yeah, for sure. That's awesome that you've had such an impact. Yeah, it's really been a wild ride and, um, it feels so long ago and so not at the same time, uh, part of me is like I can't believe like three years ago is when I started this journey and I had no clue what was going on uh for Pinu and it, for B&E it's like even longer it's like five six years ago and um a, another part of me is like I feel like it was just yesterday that I opened up FL for the first time or that I went to the involvement fair in 2017 I saw Allison and she had me sign up uh to join Pinu and um it just, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's been a wild ride. Uh, and um, I guess in terms of 
you know, being an active undergraduate member of Pi Nu, that's going to cease. Um, but, you know, not uh, my love for performing arts, not for like um, all the time I spend on it and not for B&E. Uh, that's just going to keep going on. And I'm sure as an uh, alumnus, however possible, you know, uh, I'll still help out Pi Nu. Uh, because I, you know, I feel like I've invested too much into it just to like completely, uh, have it, um, you know, drop off the face of the earth. Um, it's obviously not going to be a big priority anymore, uh, but you know, it'd always be there for me. Yeah, that's awesome. It sounds like you've had a great, like you said, a wild ride. seems like there's still a lot more work to be done as well. Yeah. Um, that's true. And then part of me is like, you know it's bittersweet where it's like you can't you don't see um during your time you don't see uh how uh the things that you did change things for the better but there's this one quote i'm probably going to get it wrong but um it's something like you know the greatest men are those who uh plant the seeds for trees that whose shade they will never sit in something like that um i kind of view myself in that way at least for Pinu, where it's like you know um is it's you know to make structural changes and things like that you know it takes a long time and i've i feel like i've made the necessary changes like through the leadership uh that I, that i've done uh but it you know it it hasn't like uh popped yet it hasn't caught on yet um within like the general like drexel atmosphere um but uh you know i i've made the you know, like the underlying changes. And that's what's most important because now someone else can just pick up right where I left off and uh, continue to make it great and continue to modernize it and make it more inclusive. Well, Mateo, it was great having you. Danny, thank you for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. I, I love talking, uh, you know, about not just like my journey, but stuff like this in general. Uh, it's really been an honor uh, being on this podcast and, you know, I can't wait to see what you keep doing uh, with the podcast and with um, all your different hustles in general. Yeah. Thanks, bro. I'm excited to see what's coming out with you as well. Yeah, man, it'll, it's going to be, it's going to be a, a crazy next few months. That's all I can really say. <laughs> all right. I'm excited. Yo, before I wrap up this podcast, I just want to ask if there's anyone out there who has any tips for potential improvements in audio quality, such as microphone recommendations or different apps to use other than Anchor, which is what I use right now, please let me know. Send me a DM or something. That would be greatly appreciated. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you have a great night. We'll see you again next time.